0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message.
1: If you would, if you please stand with me. reading of God's Word. We're going to begin with verses or chapter twenty-three, beginning with verses thirteen through thirty-six. Matthew, I'm sorry, Book of Matthew. I apologize. All right. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple, that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees and hypocrites. You give a tenth of spices, mint, dill, or cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind gods, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean also. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like the whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you! teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had, would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets.
0: Let's pray. Father, we do Come again this morning for your throne of grace. Lord, looking to you, Lord, asking that you enable us to understand, and asking that you enable us to apply. We know that these texts are not given to us just so that we can learn about the corrupt hearts of the Pharisees, but Lord, they're given to us as examples. So that we may examine ourselves. So that the mirror of Your Word may expose to us the truth about ourselves. And we pray, use it to that end this morning. And Lord, may the result be that we are drawn closer to You, have a greater vision of You, and be committed to Your honor and glory. I ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. I'm actually going to um, try, Lord willing, to cover through verses uh, 33, 13 through 33, um, and then, uh, Lord willing, pick up in verse 34 tonight. Finish out the chapter. Um, this is a hard passage. I remember watching a video several years ago where someone had taken, uh, I'd give them credit if I knew who it was. I don't know who the, the publisher, uh, who the company was, but someone had taken the, uh, the gospel of, uh, Matthew and put it in video form. The, the words were, were nothing but scripture. Um, and they played it out in, in video and, For the most part, frankly, I was, uh, except obviously the words were good because it was all Scripture. But but, but for the most part, I was a little disappointed in it because it seemed like they they went a little far trying to make Jesus uh, (laughs) be be the kind of man that a lot of people would like to picture him as. You know, just kind of bubbly and happy-go-lucky and that kind of thing. Uh, Not quite the way Isaiah pictures him when he says he was a man of sorrows, uh, acquainted with grief. Um, but when they came to this passage, I was shocked. After after you know had viewed the rest of it, uh, I was shocked at how well they, uh, at least in my estimation, how well they treated this. Uh, he, he wasn't so happy-go-lucky uh, during this during this little discourse. Um, he, he was quite stern. The the, the way the actor pro- portrayed him was quite stern and very serious and Exactly the picture I get when I, when I read this. Um, this this is this is a tough, tough passage, tough words coming from the Lord. Many things, in fact, that Jesus said were hard sayings, and we tend to kind of gloss over those if we're not if we're not careful. These are, again, as we've seen already so many times, these are indictments specifically targeted at the religious leaders of the day. Uh, I want you to I want you to take special note of that because again um, these are not unreligious people. Now we we tend to kind of go to two extremes, you know, we we want to take people who are just in our view totally secular, you know, they just totally non-religious. Think of them as the worst of the worst. On the other hand, we may view religious leaders as the worst of the worst. Um, But the the truth is, every one of us apart from Christ are in the shape that these men were in. So that's why I say it is is a mirror for us to expose our own sin. But Jesus is here addressing the, the scribes and the Pharisees. The the leaders of the day. Remember verse two. He says they sit in Moses' seat. That is, they were uh, authorities on teaching God's word, the law of Moses, and and the prophets and other scriptures. And he's once again targeting them and exposing their hypocrisy. Now, that's one reason I say you know let's take note of this. Number one, they're they're very religious. They're not non-religious. They're not what we would classify as heathen. I wouldn't even classify them as liberal. You know, today today we like to use the distinction, and I use it all the time. I'm not knocking it, but, but today we like to use the distinction of liberal versus conservative. And we do that in politics, and we do that in uh, theology. And it's, it's helpful, you know, to, to define uh, where people are at. Um, I would put them, using those categories, in the conservative category. These are Bible thumpers, okay? Fundamentalist, conservative Bible believers, quote-unquote, that Jesus is indicting. Maybe uh, even more calls for us to kind of perk up and pay attention here, Right? In other words, you can be in that group and be considered by men to be faithful in that group, fit all the criteria, and be a hypocrite. And again, Jesus is exposing their hypocrisy. He uses that designation several times through here and reveals their ill motives. They do what they do, for example, to be seen of men. They do what they do um, for self. It's all self-centered. So let me pick back up again in verse 13. I I do need to uh, note one thing also here. Um, These are called uh, oracles of woe. Uh, It just means a, a, a word from God pronouncing judgment. It's a sobering thing. This is what Isaiah And Isaiah um, 6 pronounced upon himself, when he saw the glory of God, when he saw the the Lord uh, high and lifted up, the Lord Jesus, he said, Woe is me. That's not a cry of self-pity. That is a pronouncement of judgment. Isaiah was saying, Woe is me, because I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He was, he was pronouncing judgment on himself because of his sin. It's an oracle of woe. And that is what Jesus is doing here. It's a very uh, very sobering proclamation here directly from the lips of the Lord. Sobering pronouncement upon, upon the Pharisees and the scribes. So, we have here, uh, and, and this is what I need to note. I'm going to mention eight, okay? Eight woes that Jesus that Jesus pronounces. The reason I'm going to do that is because I'm reading from the New King James Version which uh, is translated from the Texas Receptus. Same Greek text that the Old King James is translated from. But there is a textual variance here and I need to mention this because if you're looking at a, uh, a modern version uh, such as the one that Heath just read a moment ago um, then you're missing verse 14, or it's in brackets. Probably It's probably either in brackets or it's in a footnote at the bottom of your page. And that's because they, they think it's an uh, inter, interpolation. That is, it's been brought in um, by a scribe from another source. And those other sources are uh, Mark and Luke. Okay? So it is Scripture. <laughs> it's not. It's not wrong or anything like that. I'm not suggesting that at all. Um, but it does not appear in, the, in some of the earliest manuscripts, Greek manuscripts that we have. Uh, so uh, that's why they, they presume that it, it, it has been uh, brought in by a scribe, either uh, either in error or them just bringing it over because the other passages have it. Uh, Mark twelve forty, for example, is it's found there, and it's found in Luke twenty forty seven. So this is a textual variance. That means it's not just a translation thing. If if you if you uh, you know you see something different in the NIV, it's not just because they translated it different. It's because they're translating from a different Greek manuscript or set of manuscripts that did not contain it. <clears throat> And it's like that way where uh, the NASV pu- keeps it in, but they put it in brackets. The, NS, the ESV omits it and puts it in the uh, footnotes. Uh, and uh, some of you may just have a footnote like I do in the New King James. It's, it's there, but it's got a little footnote attached to it to let you know what's going on. And, uh, mine just basically says that some manuscripts don't have it. So that's why I'm counting eight woes because I'm including verse 14. If you don't have verse 14 uh, in there, then it, then it would be seven, obviously. Um, seven woes, and some commentators have pointed out that this is kind of, these kind of uh, correspond to the seven blessings and the beatitudes and, and uh, in in uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So there, Jesus just pronounces seven blessings upon. Uh, his followers and you know, believers. And here it's seven woes for, for the uh, unbelieving Jews. Uh, but again, uh, we're going to mention eight this morning, including verse 14. Okay. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering. Right, so point number one is just um, uh, woes pronounced. Eight woes pronounced, and these again are pronounced upon the scribes and the Pharisees, religious leaders. Another term for scribes is lawyers. They're not lawyers in the sense that uh, we might think of today. You know, they didn't call them up when they had a chariot wreck and uh, and try to sue each other. Um, Not that kind of lawyer. These are lawyers in that they are experts in the law of Moses. They 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 are very tedious in their copying Moses' law. They they carefully copy it out uh, to make uh, to make copies and uh, and learn it, memorize it, teach it, interpret it. And then the Pharisees, uh, just, just slightly different, they're more uh, a practical um, type of teaching. They they teach people how to. Uh, take the law of Moses and apply it to everyday life. And the way that they did that, of course, was they, <laughs> they had made up all kinds of laws uh, to apply the laws that God had actually given. And we've talked quite a bit about that. So, so they relied a lot upon the tradition of men, and this is what they would bring people into bondage to. We're going to see in a moment here. And, and frankly, uh, I think just personal preference a lot of times. They just kind of, they, they taught people how to keep the law, but they knew how to uh, use it to manipulate people and they knew how to work a lot of it in their own favor to, uh, to preserve power and so forth. So that's who he's targeting here. And the first one, interesting, isn't it? He says, they shut up the kingdom of heaven. This is the first woe. Verse 13, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Remember what the word hypocrites means? Pretenders. And that's, again, key all the way throughout here. That's what he's exposing. Their pretense. They're very religious, but they don't have the true religion. They're corrupt. They're corrupt in their beliefs. They're corrupt in their motives. They're blind. We're going to see that as we go on. And, of course, by that he means spiritually speaking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. In other words, there's going to be judgment for you. Woe to you. You're judged, you hypocrites, you pretenders. Why? Well, number one, because you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. That is a picture of them slamming the door. People want to enter in the kingdom. This is just an astounding thing to think about. People who are maybe moving that way, pressing their way toward the kingdom. And Jesus says, it's as if you just you shut the door on them. You don't let them enter in, and you don't enter in yourself. Again, verse 13, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering in. So how do they do that? Well, again, it's by their perverted teaching, by their manipulation, their their power over the people, um, setting themselves up as authorities of God's law, and then misapplying it. Now, remember what we said last week. There is some legitimacy to their authority. I think Jesus clearly recognizes that. Um, in verse 2, for example, He says, They sit in Moses' seat. I don't, I don't, think he's, I, I don't take that as, as meaning they have uh, put themselves there or they pretend to have that authority. I think He's saying they are the teachers. That's just a fact but they're using their authority, they're using their power in a corrupt way. So, as he said earlier, for example, they tell you what to do and they don't do it themselves. Because they're hypocrites, pretenders. And they use, they use that, uh, their perverted teaching, their perverted corrupt interpretations of Mosaic Law to actually prevent people from knowing the truth. So it's as if they, they shut the door of the kingdom on people as they're trying to enter. That is, people are coming to them for help, they're coming to them for understanding. And then they give them some, some perverted uh, interpretation, traditions of men. And by, by doing that, steer them away from the truth. Now, there's application there for us. Do, do we live in such a way as to testify to the truth of the gospel? Now, think about that for a moment. We're, we're a people who talk a lot about the grace of God, don't we? We talk a lot about mercy. We talk a lot about love do our words do our does our conduct our behavior our our interaction with people relationships confirm those things or contradict those things do we live in such a way as to testify to the truth of the gospel or do our words and conduct cast doubt upon the gospel are we shutting the door you know someone inquires about christianity and they Look at my life and they say, oh, I don't think I need that. Woe to you, Jesus says, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither do you allow those who are entering to go in. In verse 14, and again, this is the one uh, that, that some of you won't have in your text, but simply says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. So, secondly, they prey upon the desolate while pretending to be religious. That is, they've got this pretense of care for people you know, we love people, we love the law, so we're going, to, we're going to teach people God's Word. And all the while they're pretending that, they're actually preying upon people who are putting their trust in them to teach them, to instruct them. And he gives as an example here, widows, those who are truly desolate, they prey they upon them. I want to mention something real quick right here that i that I find interesting. Um, in in Mark's account, and it may be mark and luke let me let me look at Luke real quick also I, th- I think it's both of them. in mark twelve. Yes, it is. It's both Mark 12 and Luke 20 and 21. This is worth noticing. And I'm, and I'm going to, I actually heard um, <clears throat> John MacArthur point this out in some, uh, well, more than once, but some sermon I was listening to by him. And uh, I just never had seen this in this light. And I just thought, I find it very interesting. I think he, he may really be onto to something here. Um, now, keep in mind what Jesus just said there in verse 14. And over here, it's, it's said in Mark 12, verse 40. Who devour... This, again, Jesus is talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Now, look at verse 41. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow... Wow, what a coincidence! Jesus was just talking about Jesus was just talking about how th- they take advantage of widows, how they devour widows' houses. What a coincidence that Mark would just go right into a story about a widow, and Luke does the same thing in Luke 21. Well, it's not a coincidence at all. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. And he called his disciples, that is, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now, immediately following that, in Mark 13, and then again, immediately following that same account in Luke 21, Jesus pronounces judgment, coming judgment upon Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. So, sandwiched between Jesus making this statement about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, they devour widows' houses. Sandwiched between that and his pronouncement of judgment on Jerusalem There's not going to be one stone left upon another he says sandwiched between that you have this story about this widow who throws in two mites all that she had now if if you're like me if your experience is like me all you have ever heard about that story is is it, it used as an example of giving. This widow gave more than anybody else, which is certainly true. Jesus said that. She gave more than anybody else. Why? Because they gave out of their abundance. I mean, a lot of them gave much greater sums than she did, but she gave all that she had. And we've heard that preached and heard that preached. We need to be like the widow because she gave everything. Well, we do need to be like the widow in, 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 in the sense that we do need to give everything. We do need to give everything. And I, that's why we so easily find an application for that there. But I'm inclined to agree with John MacArthur's assessment here of the passage and say, given the context, that that's not at all what Jesus is saying. What, is, what He's doing is giving an example of how the scribes and Pharisees devour Widows' houses. A widow who is already destitute is being allowed to take all of her living and give it to them for the ministry. Now, you don't find that in the church. When you get over into the book of Acts, the church is instructed to care for widows who are truly destitute, not take all their money even though uh, we see that played out still today, don't we? Not just with widows, but with others. So I think what Jesus is doing there is giving an example of the kind of abuse that's going on, and He's so so angry about it (laughs) that He immediately goes from that into a lengthy discourse concerning judgment that He's going to bring upon Jerusalem. For that and for many many other things, um, so th- this is the kind of thing that they were they were doing that they were engaging in, abusing people rather than caring for people. So th- there's another woe, woe to you! You devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. See, they they can present themselves as as very religious, very Very dedicated, very committed to God. But he says, you will receive the greater condemnation. And then number three, woe to you, scribes, verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, pretenders, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. That's number three. They practice deadly proselytizing. Again, this is somewhat astounding to me. You you always... I guess we would tend to think, okay, if if people don't love the truth, then they would not proselytize at all. To, To proselytize is just to seek converts. But... That's not true of the Pharisees. Jesus says they are very zealous in their proselytizing. So much so that they'll travel over land and over sea even just to make one convert with false doctrine. <laughs> now, Do we see that in our own day? Of course we do. I mean, we can, we can think of, of uh, religions, organizations like the Mormons. The males hit a certain age, 18 I believe it is, they have to spend two years on the mission field. And they ship them all over the world preaching a false gospel. Jehovah's Witnesses, how many times have you heard a Christian say, boy, I admire them for their zeal. Well, they do. They have zeal. So do the Pharisees. So again, if if you picture them as being just kind of lethargic, lazy, liberals. That's not them. These are people that we would more likely look at just from all outward appearance and say, boy, they are on fire for the Lord, aren't they? I mean, they hustle money for God's house. They travel across land and sea to win one convert. They're on fire for the Lord. And Jesus is pronouncing judgment upon them. So, again, just a reminder by way of application, these are people who by human standards are not bad people. They are moral. They are respectable. They are... Religious leaders. So, Jesus says you travel in and see. You make them twofold the child of hell. They do that because they're giving them false doctrine. As we've already seen, shutting the door of the real kingdom upon them. Now, what are we teaching our converts? Are we feeding them the truth? Boy, these, these are important things for us to think about because these things are so subtle. They're not all blatant. Every once in a while, we see a, we see a David Koresh in the news. And I mean, that is so blatant. And it, anybody can recognize it. Well, almost anybody. He did have followers, but most people recognize it. They look at him and they say, the guy's crazy, he's off his rocker. But I would submit to you there are much more subtle forms of false religion that are far more dangerous than the David Koresh's out there because they're so subtle. And people look at them and say, my, that is Christianity. So, what are we teaching? Are are we teaching the truth? Are we really Bible-centered in our doctrine? Are we teaching them, that is our converts, are we teaching them to be self-centered by living according to traditions of men and personal preference? Or are we teaching them to be Christ-centered, Bible-centered, by living according to God's Word, seeking God's glory in all things? If If you think about that, you'll you'll realize how easy it is to move from that. In other words, the the issue really is not just some blatant sin, but the issue is not seeking truth and not seeking the glory of God. Whatever is not of faith is sin, Paul says in Romans 14. And number four. They distort the truth to suit themselves. This is kind of a lengthy one here, through verses um, sixteen through twenty-two, and a lot of it has to do with, of course, with their religious practice and their culture. So it's going to be a little foreign to us. <clears throat> Verse sixteen: Woe to you, blind guides! Now he he calls them blind hypocrites. Blind. They're they they are like the leaders of isaiah's day in isaiah 56 isaiah calls them blind watchmen you know they they had watchmen set on the walls to warn of danger and isaiah said you're like blind watchmen and dumb dogs <laughs> dumb meaning you can't bark I don't know that I've ever in my life had a dog that doesn't bark. And then just recently we've had at least two. That's strange. But maybe that's the Lord showing me something there. I don't know. We had a, a wolf hybrid, and the dog didn't bark. You know, she, she just didn't bark. They just don't do that. She'd kind of like talk. I mean, she'd whine, you know. And, but she didn't bark. Somebody drive up, she didn't bark. Strange. And that's And Isaiah is saying, that's what you've got for watchmen. A lot of good that's going to do you, right? The army's coming, the enemy, you know, the enemy's coming, and the, and the dog can't bark. They're blind. They can't see the danger. And like we were talking about in Sunday school, they, they don't know it. They're blind to their own blindness. In other words, they think they see. In fact, Jesus tells them that's uh, right at the heart of their sin. In one place, he tells them that, you, you, you think you see, therefore your sin remains. You, you have sin. They, they can't see, but they think they see. So woe to you blind gods, you say whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Now these are examples of some of the some of the rules that they are uh, inventing. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, they would tell people how to apply God's law. Uh, you know, you would you would have commandments, for example. There's whole, whole sections in uh, the Old Testament on uh, how to treat oaths. You know, when you swear an oath, uh, what makes it valid or what invalidates it and so forth. And so they take commands like that and then tell the people, here's how you do it. And so this is some of their instruction, which is not... Really true, not really biblical, as, as Jesus is going to point out. Some of the ways they're misleading the people. But that's, that's one example. Verse uh, 16, and look at verse 17. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? So they, they were telling people, you can swear by the temple and it's nothing. That is, you don't have to keep your oath. You can take that one lightly. You can you can take that one back. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, and I'm not sure if they're uh, referring to the the gold over overlaid, you know that overlaid the the uh, the temple or the temple furniture or the gold uh, utensils that were used, or maybe all of the above. But they were saying, now if you swear by the gold of the temple, now you're under obligation. Your your oath is valid. You must keep it. And Jesus says, you fools and blind, which is greater? The gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. In other words, the only reason the gold is anything is because it's being used in the service in the temple. That's what makes the gold holy. In verse 18, whoever swears by the altar, this is just another example. Whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. You see how they're using these Technicalities, no doubt, to their own advantage. If they wanted to uh, swear an oath that they didn't, that they would not be held to ultimately, they could just swear by the temple (laughs) or, or swear by the altar, and it's nothing. If they're really serious, they'll swear by the gold in the temple or, by the gift on the altar. But Jesus says again, verse nineteen: "Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift?" Are the altar that sanctifies the gift. So again, you have uh, another example. It, the reason the gift is holy is because of the altar. The altar makes it holy, sanctified. So he's telling them, your, your whole system there is hypocrisy. Just, just useless technicalities. I mean, they're just using them to excuse themselves and to condemn others. In verse 21, he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Now he takes it even further back. So even if you swear by the temple, you're swearing by it and by him who dwells in it. So in other words, ultimately, you're swearing by God. In verse 22, and he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So they may think that they're excusing themselves, that they, through their technicalities, are releasing themselves from commitment, but Jesus is saying, oh no. Ultimately, you're swearing by God. And God knows. I mean, he's not fooled in all these things. Verse 23. This is number five. They neglected the weightier matters of the law. And you obviously see some um, bleed over in all of these because they all, uh, in one sense, describe the same thing. He's just giving different examples of how their hypocrisy plays out. So, number five, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, again, pretenders. For you pay tithe of mint and anus and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith, these ought you to have done without leaving the others undone. Now, what's he talking about? These, these little uh, herbs, um, mint, anus, cumin. First of all, the, uh, under Mosaic law, they were commanded to tithe. That is to give a, a, a tenth of all of their increase. Now, this goes back to what I was saying earlier in identifying the Pharisees. They were so strict in these matters that they didn't just do that with their crops out in the field. They did it with the little herbs and plants and things that they grew on the windowsill in the house or out right outside the door. That's how strict they were about keeping God's law concerning tithing. They were not liberals in these matters. More like ultra conservatives. We keep the law to the letter, in their mind. I mean, that's what they were trying to do. Now we're seeing through all of this that they're while they're doing that, they're they're totally. That's what Jesus is saying about the weightier matters. They're totally throwing out the intent of the law. Come back to that in a moment. But they, but they are very strict in keeping the letter of the law, so much so that they even tithe on, on those little, small crops, if you can call them that. And rightly so, Jesus says you ought to have done that. But you ought not to have left the others undone. In the weightier matters, they weren't so strict. They released themselves. It's a lot easier to give 10% of your herbs than it is to love someone or to have faith. Or to practice justice. So they would excuse themselves in those weightier matters and be strict about the little things that they could do. Now, let me say something here, just as a side note, that this verse is not. This is not a place you can go to in the New Testament that supports tithing for the New Testament church. Now, I want to say this carefully, but, but, I, but I, I think it's a point worth bringing up. <clears throat> I, I do not find any place in the New Testament that, that teaches that Christians, New Testament Christians, are obligated to tithe. That is an Old Testament, Old Covenant uh, requirement like a tax. I mean, Old Testament Israel was a theocracy. God at the head. That's a theocracy. Is I mean the right kind of theocracy, which was the true living God at, at the at the head. The right kind of theocracy is better than a democracy. <laughs> far better. Um, the wrong kind, you know, some place like Iran or something, is uh, is far worse. But but when you've got the living God at the head, that is the good. That's what we're that's where we're headed, folks. Ultimately, and <laughs> not going to be a democ- democracy in heaven. I guarantee you that. We're not going to be voting on anything. It's going to be what the Lord says, that's what goes. There won't be any committees. We won't have to have a form a committee do anything. God will just, you know, we'll just be in His presence and glory forever. But I have heard preachers say, and I've even heard them say it, you know, like this. They say something like, well, you know, people say the New Testament doesn't teach tithing, but here it is. Jesus said, you ought to have done this. Yes, He did. In the Old Testament. This is not New Testament. Yes, it's in the section of the book that we call the New Testament, but this is not happening during the New Testament dispensation. Jesus has not gone to the cross yet, and He has not risen from the dead yet. He is talking to Jewish people, not Gentile believers, on the other side of the cross. He is addressing Jews who were part of the theocracy. And he's telling them, yes, even to be that strict to tithe on these herbs, yes, you were right to do that, but you shouldn't have left the others undone. So this is not a passage supporting tithing. Now, let me say something else that you may find utterly ridiculous, and nevertheless, I feel that I can back it up easily. The New Testament does not require that we give 10% it requires that we give 100%. Absolutely. 100%. <clears throat> How is that possible? Well, that's probably a sermon for another time, but I'll just say this briefly. As far as what you put in the plate for the ministry, uh, I think 10% is a great place to start. In other words, we can, we can use the example of the Old Testament. Uh, And notice I said start. It's a great place to start. (laughs) And then, you know, uh, just follow the Lord's lead and give more and more and more. But regardless of how much you put in the plate, I don't care if it's 5%, 10%, 50%, 90%, regardless of how much you put in the plate or, you know, send off to missions or whatever, 100% of your money belongs to God. 100% of it. 100% of my money belongs to God. So every time I make a purchase, I need to have that in mind. That I'm just using His money. Now, can I use it? Can I spend it in a way that glorifies Him? Yes, you can. Paul said whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all the glory of God, it can be done. And the New Testament requires that we do it. We need to have that mindset. That would, that would cut out a lot of frivolous spending, wouldn't it? I mean, we're quick pointing fingers at the government for wasting money. And I, I bet, you know, if Jesus were to come to our house and look around and see if we're really living on what we need or if we have some excess, I bet He could find some frivolous spending too. I know He could at my house. One hundred percent of what we have belongs to the Lord. Verse twenty-four: Blind guys who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. He's, he's talking about. Uh, he's expounding on what he was saying in verse twenty-three. They will. They will keep these little technical matters, be very strict in their tithing, and yet just throw out mercy, justice, faith. And so he, he's illustrating that with this uh, analogy. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. I'm, I'm told they they would strain, and I, I can identify with this. I used to do this with goat's milk, um, but they, they would strain their wine so that if there was like a little gnat or something in there. They would catch it, you know. You don't want to, uh, at least I didn't want to get the extra protein, you know. Um, some may, you know. You may like yours chewy. I don't know. But, uh, and I used to do that with goat's milk. Daniel and Joshua would go out every morning and milk the goats and bring it in and, and I'd use cheesecloth and, and pour it through there and uh, and strain it. Um, cause I didn't want goat hair uh, you know, in my cereal and milk and all that. But uh, that's, that's the idea. Jesus says, look, you'll strain out a gnat. You don't want to be drinking your wine and swallowing that. But then you'll swallow a camel. Now, obviously, He's using hyperbole, right? They didn't swallow camels, literally. But what He's saying is, you're going to be so strict on these little matters, and the issues that matter most, you're willing to let them slide. You're going to you're going to tithe on your on your little herbs, but then you're going to reject the commandment to uh, display justice, mercy, faith. Those are the weightier matters that they were just not interested in keeping. Number six, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, pretenders, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion or greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. and I'm going to go ahead and read the next one because these two kind of go together. They make a point. Woe to you, verse 27, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That word uh, lawlessness. I mean, that's a literal translation of it. it uh, uh, it's it's where we get our word anomaly. Something that doesn't uh, fit the law, fit the rule. So it's as if there was no law. So you're living, you're living as pretenders, and you're living in lawlessness. That is, you're you're living as as if there's just no law. So Jesus is saying in these two woes, and again. Uh, this is important for understanding all of it. Jesus is saying, your religion is all about the outward. It's just, it's just totally outward exercise works. You appear to men to be righteous, but inside you're dead. You're full of dead man's bones. You're like a, a whitewashed tomb. And people can walk by and say, my, isn't that beautiful? It looks so clean and on the inside it's death and decay so again what about us is our religion first and foremost a matter of the heart or is it primarily outward are are we pursuing holiness did you know that we're commanded to do that in the New Testament? More than once. Be holy. So, what about our religion? Is it a matter of the heart, or is it just a matter of keeping rules and regulations? Saying eloquent prayers, being seen, having people say, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi. My, what a nice man you are. What a nice lady you are. Just, just getting the praise of people. Which one? Are we, concerned, are we concerned with legalistic details? Or the pursuit of love, peace, holiness? Christianity is a religion that cleans the inside and then it works from the inside out. Well, I know I'm running out of time, so here's the last one. They're descendants of murderers of the prophets. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. That sounds good, doesn't it? What he says is, you know, you, you you build the tombs of the martyrs, and you say, boy, if we had lived back then, we wouldn't have participated with our father. We we wouldn't have stood against Elijah on Mount Carmel. I wouldn't have thrown Jeremiah in a dungeon. We wouldn't have participated in that. I mean, that sounds good. But, Jesus says, verse 31, Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Whose children are we? Here's the question. Whose likeness do we bear? That's what Jesus is saying. It's not about what you say. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of Abraham. It's not about what you say. It's about bearing the likeness. Whose son you are, will be evident. Jesus told the Jews, you're not not Abraham's son. If you were Abraham's son, you would have the faith of Abraham. And they didn't have that because they rejected Jesus. So whose sons are we? Whose likeness do we bear? Who do we identify ourselves with? Well, all of that's point number one, right? The woe. Point number two is going to be (laughs) sharp. It's one verse. Verse 33. Here's Jesus' conclusion. An indictment. Pronouncement of judgment. He doesn't have kind words for them. Serpents. Brood of vipers. In chapter 3, verse 7. In fact, very similar language used there. John the Baptist also calls them brood of vipers. And also speaks of their condemnation. Matthew 3, 7. But here Jesus says, serpents. Brood of vipers. What do serpents do, by the way? I mean, typically. Why, why is it we don't like serpents? They're poisonous. A lot of them are. Many of them are. They hurt people. And plus, when you consider um, the first one that we know about in history, the great serpent. What did He do? He was a deceiver. That's what Jesus is saying. You, they know what He's saying. They know what He's saying. You serpents. You brood of vipers. In other words, this, he's, he's looking at them and He's saying, You know what I see? A pit. A nest of snakes. Full of poison. Clean outwardly. Filthy inwardly. Pretenders. You're sons of hell and you're converting other people to become sons of hell. And so he says, serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? That word hell is Greek word Gehenna. It's a trash dump outside the city of Jerusalem where they would burn refuse. It's stunk. There was always fire there because they were continually burning off the waste of the city. Jesus used that place, that dump, symbolically to picture hell. So just like all of the unwanted stuff, the junk, the waste, the refuse... It's cast out of the city into Gehenna, into the fires of Gehenna. Jesus is telling the pretenders, that's your destination as well. God's not mock. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. Now, here's the question. Whew, boy, i got to quit, but I'm just going to leave you with this. Here's the question. How can you escape that? How can you escape that judgment? How can you and I escape that judgment? I'm telling you, what we see in them is us, apart from Christ. And I fear, even as Christians, we may have elements of their hypocrisy. How do you escape the judgment? Well, they don't. They don't. We don't. Without repentance. Coming to Christ. Trusting in Christ. That is, there's, there's got to be a turn from all of this sinfulness that Jesus has described, all of this hypocrisy, all of this false religion, all of this self-centered and self-promotion. There's got to be a turn away from all of that to Christ and Christ alone so that Jesus becomes the center of our existence. The center of our focus as individuals. The center of our church. The center of our religion, it is all about Him. Outside of that, there is no escape. These are examples of human pride and false religion and all of it intermixed. And it all deserves the condemnation of hell. It's all the product of sons of hell. There's only one escape from it. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what they reject. Lord willing, we'll talk more about that tonight. Would you stand, please? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana.